Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Scoop B Radio, on the airwaves, on the plane, on the train, on the Scoop B Radio podcast, everywhere you need to be. Make sure that you subscribe to the Scoop B Radio podcast, actually on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn App, Stitcher app, or simply by visiting scoopbradio.com. And on the line is a guy that I first knew who he was when I watched the movie Eddie, when I found out what a black hole was. And I was saying, <laughs> Olden Polynes, NBA veteran. What's going on, OP? I know much, man. How you doing? It's funny you rushing to Eddie. I watched it the other night. Then <laughs> <laughs> so, I remember when that movie came out, it was Mark Jackson. He was the preacher man. It was Dwayne Synthesis was on it. Uh, the late Malik Silly, the late Anthony Mason, of course, Whoopi Goldberg. We've talked about this before, man. But I mean, what was it like on the set in between uh, takes of that film, Eddie? It was awesome. Um, simply awesome being with you know, you know, former teammates, uh, friends of mine, guys. You know, I grew up with you know Mark Jackson. I grew up together Malik. Tom Sally, and um, so it was a lot of fun. I was down there in North Carolina filming, but you know, I was supposed to actually be in the movie full time. You know, like mm-hmm. as one of the cast members, but mm-hmm. I couldn't, I couldn't do it because it's, it was um, schedule conflict. So my good friend Mark Berg, who produced the movie, um, you know, wrote that script that was seen in, so I could be a part of the movie. And so, because it wasn't, you know, meant to be that way. And that was um, kind of like my um, pay for titling one of his other movies, uh, the movie Strictly Business. Wow. Yeah, I was the one that titled that movie. And so as my reward, since I didn't get any compensation, was the part in Eddie. So that was kind of cool. But it was a lot of fun. And for the young people who don't know what the hell Eddie was, can you, can you, can you, Paint the scene. What happened with the free throw line, and what was your your line in that film? So, um, my line was um, so Malik Seeley was this selfish basketball player, and so he had an opportunity to make a pass to one of his teammates, and he didn't. So Whoopi Goldberg yells out to him, "Hey, you know what are you, the black hole of basketball?" 
And so everybody's like, what's a black hole? And then that's when the camera goes to me, and I proceed to explain to everybody what a black hole is. And a black hole is a theoretical object in space that is so dense that matter collapses and light itself cannot escape. <laughs> What's a black hole? <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, that was the thing too. Because you know, she thought she said, you know, she's calling you a hoe. No, not a hoe, a hole, a black hole. <laughs> Which I don't think any coach can call a player a hoe. No, 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 no that no, would no, start no, no. problems. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but you know what's so funny? Can I share something right quick? Go ahead. Within the movie, um, so when we were filming, this this guy comes up to me, right? He's like, Alden. I'm like, yeah, Alden. You don't remember me, huh? And so I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm like, oh, my God, you look familiar, but I can't remember your name. You look familiar, I can't remember. He's like, you know, he finally tells me his name and everything, and we start hugging each other. And he was the guy when I was a kid in New York City in the polo grounds. I was about 10, 11 years old. He would walk me across the street, you know, because my parents, you know, when they finally allowed me to go across the street and all that, he was one of the kids' neighborhood, one of the guys' neighborhood. But he happened to be Whoopi Goldberg's um, brother, wow. her younger brother. And, you know, before she changed her name, because she's from our neighborhood. Right. And so he's like, you know, that's my sister, right? And I'm like, so all everything started tying together and all. I was like, wait a minute, what is your sister? So we went in the lot in, the, in her dressing room, and, you know, she had all the video games, you know, Miss Pac-Man and everything. And so we just sat there and reminisced about the old neighborhood, playing video games in between breaks of the movie. Yo, the world is too damn gone small. You got to watch how you treat people. Hey, I'm finding out. <laughs> <laughs> Scooby ready on the line with Open Polonies talking about the good old days in the NBA. You you mentioned that um, you had the chance to be in the film full-time. That meant that you would have been playing for the New York Knicks in the film. Yes, I would have been um, one, of, one of the teammates for the Knicks. Uh, that would have been interesting. <laughs> Why? Well, I think they're true to life. <laughs> the way the way it, it was projected in the movie is pretty much how it's playing out now. And we're talking about 20, 20 plus years ago. And so, and it's still the same thing. And it's like the weirdest thing that I've, I've ever seen in sports. How does a franchise, a great franchise like that, Go through that. You know, like in the movie, you were so bad that you had to hire a woman coach. Huh. You know, no disrespect to women, but it's like that's how bad things were, that you needed gimmicks. Right. And that was 23 years ago. And so I'm like, okay, what's going on now is similar to that. It's like, what? There's something wrong with the organization, you know? And it's funny, if you look at it, there's a lot of similarities between the Knicks owner in the movie and James Dolan, hmm. you know? Do you think that the Knicks potentially getting someone like Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving would better them off the rip? It doesn't matter. If the Knicks don't win championships, it really doesn't matter who they bring in. Kyrie and, and Kevin Durant's not going to help. 
you know, it, yeah, it'll give them a little bit more excitement, but that's not going to win them championships because it, it's not about that. If you look at teams that that have won championships, especially the team that's currently the two-time defending champion, it's not about those guys only. Kevin Durant's on that team, but he became a part of a championship team. It's how they all get along. Not hmm. most. He's ninety percent going to leave. It's fine. You know, forget all that. Right now, he's not even playing. And look at him. They they running like a well-oiled machine. Hmm. You know, so the Knicks are going to have to do a lot more than just bring in Kyrie and Kevin Durant. They're going to have to bring in a Draymond type, you know, a Clay type, a Kevon Looney, an Eagle Dollar type. You got to have those kind of individuals. Look at the Spurs; they have those kind of players. Yes, you have two or three major talents, but you got to have the Patty Mills. You got to have the Danny Greens. You know, F, you always got to have that. You got to have the Tristan Thompson like in Cleveland. They don't have that. So it's not yeah. going to be just Kyrie and Kevin Durant. You have to have an Olden Polonies. You got to have them in Oakley <laughs> or whomever. You got to have people that are willing to sacrifice for the team. Do you think Kevin Durant stays with the Warriors? He should. In my personal opinion, I forget what people are saying. Who cares? You know, they don't, they don't, do nothing for you other than stir the pot. Stay in Oakland. I thought the 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 belief was to work smart, not hard. Hmm. You know, that's how I was always raised and grew up on is, you know, you work smart, <laughs> not hard. Why, now, why do you want to make your life harder by going there? Who cares about legacies, man? You're one of the greatest players in the world already. You will go down and arguably as one of the best players ever, regardless. The arguments are just made for media and people that like to talk. That's it. Who cares? Mm. Everybody is now upset. Well, his, you know, his legacy is tarnished because unless he goes and, and wins by himself, no one wins by themselves. Michael Jordan didn't win by himself. You know, remember, people forget um, Dennis Rodman came on that team. You know, he had Scottie Pippen. He had Steve Kerr. He had Paxson. You don't win by yourself. That's a fallacy. Hmm. Stay with the Warriors and win a million championships. (laughs) (laughs) Now, that's a legacy. Hey, what are you talking about? You sounded like Ving Rains when you said that Arby's after Knicks. Man, you 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 brought up a valid point. The thing that stood out to me was you said um, the Warriors are a well-oiled machine. Um, they're winning without KD. That's why it's a possibility that Demarcus Cousins and Kevin Durant could win another championship. Well, Demarcus Cousins can get his first ring and he's been hurt. And Kevin Durant can get one another championship while a 2015 shell of, of, of that team took care of business while KD was out. That's kind of crazy if you think about it. Listen, the, the one, what I, I love about the Warriors is this. They were built. Okay. Draymond Green goes to any other team than the Warriors. We never hear about Draymond Green. Because he was an undersized uh, big, you know, he was too big to play, you know, not enough of a ball handler to play uh, guard. 
and not big enough to play power forward and center. So he was the in-between size. And any other team, because the way this, the league is, they would have been like cut, cut, or D-League, or G-League, whatever they're calling it now. But because he ended up with the Warriors and David Lee got hurt, he got an opportunity. And then we mm-hmm. saw his three talents. But if he had gone to any other team, they were not going to have that kind of, you know, patience with him. You know, they were able to have patience with the Warriors. You know, Clay Thompson was drafted by that team. A whole bunch of teams passed up on Clay. So people are acting like Clay just popped out of nowhere. No, he built himself up. Steph Curry, a bunch of teams passed on Steph Curry. Steph Curry sat behind um, one of those, oh, God. I, I, see, and I forgot his name all of a sudden. The point guard, uh, what is his name? Oh, you talk about uh, you talk about uh, the dude from Arkansas. What's his name? Um. Oh my God! See, and that's how good he was. So I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> shoot. So, no, not Monte. No, before. No, not even Monte. Worse than that. Gilbert Arenas. No. Oh my God! Why? Why am I having a brain fart right now? Um, anyway, he was sitting behind this guy and, you know, he had the ankle issues. So people would dine on him, but he's one of the greatest players we've ever seen. So my point being, he's Oh, Barry Davis. No, not Barry. I know Barron. That's what I'm saying. It's one of those unforgettable people. Wow. You know, that became forgettable. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. So he, he built himself into a superstar. So these guys grinded and worked hard and became superstars. And now, you know, we think everybody just were overnight sensations, but they weren't. They worked their butts off, you know, and became major, major players in in this game of basketball. So, you know, you can't – the Knicks or whomever, you got to have people that are willing to work, willing to sacrifice, and willing to get along. And until you do that, it's always going to be the case. That's why, like I say, I love the Warriors because of how they built themselves. Hmm. You got all this <clears throat> visual uh, intelligence. You have this game that you play that you love. Um, you have the relationships. You, you're Haiti born, played uh of, you know, New York City basketball at All Hallows. You, you know, you've been around the league. Why isn't nobody hiring you uh, in, a, in a coaching capacity? Man, that's a hell of a question you just asked. I wish I knew. I Because I've done every program that the NBA has to offer. I've done them at least a minimum of two times, you know. And I think you were supposed to only do them once. I've done them twice. I've done top 100. I've done um, the executive program. I've coached at Portsmouth. I've coached in the AVA, the CBA, the G League, the D League, the the A League, F League, C League. <laughs> I've coached in the USVL. I've coached AU. Oh, I've coached women's college. I've coached. <laughs> I've coached high school. I'm like, what the hell? What else do I have to do? You know, I kissed that ass. I kissed that ass. <laughs> and it didn't taste good. <laughs> so I... Did you 
you put? Did you pop a mint in your mouth after? I did actually, <laughs> and I bought dinner. <laughs> I don't know, school. To be honest with you, and you know, uh, all jokes aside, it's you know, it's one of those things. I thought it was, you know, hey, not what you know, who you know. So I thought, sure. okay, all my guys, oh my god, I see my guy right here just got hired. You know, and so I'm happy. I make a phone call. Now I'll share this story. So Rod Thorne, you know, the legendary Rod Thorne, great mm-hmm. man. I love that man. Oh my God, I swear to God. Somebody say something about Rod Thorne, me and them will fight. He traded I, you for Scotty Pippen. You love him? I yes. <laughs> you know. Because Rod Thorne is one was one of the few exact Mitch Kupchak too, but Rod Thorne like would always pick up the phone. Right. No matter what was going on. He's in the middle of trade deadline or whatever. He would always, within the day, he would call me back. You know, so I always appreciate that about him. So he made a hire one year. He's like, if you know, you know, I you got my blessing, I'll bring you on, you know, as long as it's okay with the coach. So I'm like, oh, my God, that's my guy. You know, that's my guy. Takes me a week and a half to finally get in touch, and the minute we get on the phone, I, I get the two-minute phone call response. Like, hey, you know, I've already got my staff, and I'm sorry, and that was it. Wait a minute, you haven't? You just got hired. How do you already have your staff? You know, and so I'm saying to myself, okay, well, you know, maybe you do have people that you were connected with and all that, so you're gonna bring them on. And I was like, okay, but. A week to return my phone call, and then two minutes on the phone. But I'm like, don't you owe me? <laughs> you know, I, that's what I wanted to say to him. Don't you? Can you say me? the person's name? Avery Johnson. Really? Yeah, because I'm like, I'm, I'm tired of you know. It's like I'm just tired of you know everything that I've done for people. I'm tired of it. I have people that are in, in the coaching trees. I have people that are general managers or were general managers you know, that I help get jobs. And because you got to remember, I didn't do it for you to help me out now because I didn't know you were going to be a coach. I didn't know you were going to be a general manager. You know, I did it because out of the goodness of my heart. You know, we're talking about 25, 30 years ago, I did something for you. So there was no way I knew you were going to become who you are now. And so it had to be out of the goodness of my heart. And all I've ever asked is, hey, you could answer the phone and say, hey, I ain't got nothing. I don't mind that, but don't give me the run around. Don't give me the, the standard responses. You know, I, you know, we, 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 could be, we should be better than that based on what I did for a lot of people. And it's not just him. There's a whole bunch of them out there, you know. <clears throat> Scoopy Radio on the line with Olden Polonese talking NBA, talking coaching, and more. You're in L.A. Um, the Lakers hired uh, Frank Vogel. Uh, Jason Kidd is an assistant coach. Um, I would imagine you playing for the Lakers. You know the Bus family, and I would imagine you have ties to Rob Palenka. Could you see a situation where the Lakers are still looking to fill a coaching uh, position or assistant coaching positions? Uh, you worked with JaVel McGee. Uh, we don't know if he'll be back, but you you, you, you know Palinka, you know JaVel, you know Jason. I'm sure you know the Bus family. What's stopping Palinka or the Bus family from giving you a call 
and, and, and saying, hey, Oldham, we want to bring you in? I, I don't know. First of all, I never did play for the Lakers. You know, I've just been around. I was very close with Dr. Buzz and, you know, for, I guess, because of who I've always been, I was always one of his favorites, even though I never played for him. I wanted to. I even offered my pinky to play for the Lakers. Are you serious? Oh, yeah. Back at it. Oh, yeah. Well, I offered my pinky for a championship, but I, you know, I wanted to do it as a Laker. Uh, (laughs) Right. But, you know, I, I got out of a contract, a guaranteed, you know, deal. I basically exercised, you know, I opted out in the hopes I would play for the Lakers. Now, that's another cool little story. So um, I'm with the Utah Jazz, right? Mm-hmm. And this is 2001. And... Yeah, 2001. So I'm being represented by Dwight Manley, who also had um, Carl Malone, Byron Scott, um, Danielle Marshall. He had four players on the same team, four were starters. And he 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 famously represented Dennis Rodman. Mm. You know, that's how he got his start. And so... My option is, you know, it's a substantial option and back then. And all I had to do was go to sleep and wake up and, my, you know, I'm opt in. But I ended opting out because I heard through Dwight Manley that the Lakers were interested in me. That's the only reason I would ever opt out of it. I don't care if it was $100 million, I would have opted out of it because I mm-hmm. always wanted to be a Laker. So come to find out, you know, weeks later, there was no such talk. Manly did that. He created that whole atmosphere because he knew how much I love being a Laker. So he used it against me for me to opt out so they could give Carl Malone a bigger cut, bigger contract. Wow. But he needed me. He needed my contract or the jazz me and my contract off the books. You know, so my own agent sold me out. You know. Wow. Yeah. So those are the things that go on behind closed doors that people don't know about. So, you know, but again, I you know, I am here in LA and I would love to work for the Lakers. I know the organization backwards and forwards. You know, I know there's a lot of you know, as people are saying, dysfunction right now, but I don't think it's dysfunction. I just you know, I just think that you know, people need to understand, you know, what Jerry Buss set up and what Jeannie's trying to do is something that's different than everybody else is doing, you know. You know everybody's making everything corporate. And Jeannie and Dr. Buss never wanted to be corporate. He wanted to be, you know, separate and apart from everything that's going on. And, you know, right in this day and age, we might not understand that, you know, about loyalty and trying to do things right. And, you know, what they call it, a mom-and-pop organization. But, you know, mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with that. You know, that was a nice time back in the days when everything was a mom-and-pops, you know, and where we had common sense and everything else. But all that's gone out the window. So I, I'm not against what she's doing. I just think that, you know, people need to give them some time. You know, every nothing is built right away. It doesn't happen right away. So, you know, I think they're going to be okay. Where do you think you'd fit into a Lakers organization in, in coaching or even a Clippers organization in coaching? Um, I'm really good at what I do. Um, 
my ego's in check. I think that's what people need to understand. You know, I'm not one of these people that, you know, I got to be the coach. I got, you know, it's my way. I'm the guy that comes in that wants to help people. And maybe that's why BJ Offsaw said this to me a long time ago. He said, look at you. You're ready to work. You ain't going to get no job. <laughs> and I was like, I was at Summer League in Las Vegas. He goes, he goes, look at you. Look how you are. You got the resume. You look like you're ready to work. They're not going to hire you. And it blew my mind when he explained that to me. You know, I said, what the hell? I thought that's what it was supposed to say. No. See, you actually want to work. You actually want to get people better. If you get them better, there's an expectation level now to win. Hmm. You're so, they, everybody's just there to basically, like, ride the wave, you know, and, you know, like, keep that hope or, you know, that basic sense of hope alive for fans. But you actually want to help people. And I was like, come on, that doesn't make sense to me. It was like, I promise you, you can't come in here trying to work. You know, and he kept saying, I'm like, dude, this doesn't make sense. Isn't that what it's supposed to be? You know, but no, it's supposed to just be that, like, a JaVel, you know, who's one of my guys. It's like, you want to make JaVel a great player. No, we want Javel like, right here at about 50%. You know, he gives us, you know, he, you know, give us a good game here or whatever, but that's it. So now there's no levels of expectation out of it. And it's the same thing with the team. You know, we don't want levels of expectation. We just want to ride the wave. I'm like, okay, so you just, everybody just want to be complacent. It's like, pretty much. And I was like, it still doesn't make sense to me, but, you know, it was a way that somebody pointed it out. And I was like, you, you know, you wanting to work is actually a bad thing. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't do this, man. Oh, the answer be this. When did that culture change in the NBA? I don't – I honestly don't know because I always, I was always under the belief that, you know, you came to work every day, you bust your ass, and that's it, and go home. You know, I learned from all the greats, and somewhere along the lines, you know, things changed. Then we got into the whole analytics thing and, you know, paying people for not performing. You know, I, I honestly think around the time when, was it Larry Johnson or maybe John Conkack? It was between those two players. That's when everything to me changed financially because when John Conkack got that $25 million contract and then Larry Johnson came in and got his massive contract, the the psyche of the game changed. You know, we were all overpaid. I mean, we all get paid to play basketball. So in my mind, I always felt everybody was overpaid. But it got to the point where financially it just became, you know, laughable, you know, a guy gets a twenty million dollar a year contract, but he's averaging two points. Hmm. You know, and to me that doesn't make sense. You know, and I, you know, like I said, remember I said I did all the classes and everything, all the programs in the league. I've done the, I've been a general manager, I've been an assistant general manager. I know, I know the salary cap. You know, backwards and forwards. So my thing is this: if a guy, why? If I have $100 million to spend, I'm sorry. I'm going to spread that $100 million to get the good team. I don't give a damn. I'm not giving you 30 of it and be over the cap. 
you know, and you're not producing. Now, a LeBron deserves $30 million, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, some of these, you know, and Alan Crabb does not deserve $20 million. No disrespect, Alan, get your money, but right. no, you just don't. You're a five, eight million a year guy. Yeah. You know, because I don't need to give it to him. I can go get somebody, you know, that plays as good, if not better, and is hungry for less money. You know, that's, is this that's safe, just my mentality. Is this safe, Scoopy Radio on the line with all the pollinators? Is it safe to say that while coaching would be something that you would be able to do, whether it's head coaching, assistant coaching, consulting and more, you may even have interest in some level of front office uh, work. Well, that's the thing. I've done it all. I've been in it in the minor leagues. I've done the classes. So it's like, I'm, I, I, I honestly, I'm one of those people. I'm ready and willing for anything that's, that's out there. It's just that people need to know that I am here. You know, I've done it. And, you know, I was involved in, 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 you know, when the league during the lockout. I was part of that negotiating committee. And in ninety, so, in ninety eight, ninety nine. In ninety eight, ninety nine, and right. so it's none of this stuff is new to me. It's just getting the opportunity, you know, play development. I've been doing analytics. I've been doing analytics since I was fifteen years old. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't need some geek to tell me. Like a Bruce Bowen likes to shoot in the corners, you know, or this year's version of Bruce Bowen, P.J. Tucker, okay, he will only shoot in the corners. So there's no need for me to run out on him when he's at the top of the key. Let him shoot. You know, he will not, he don't even look at the basket. (laughs) So that's not, analytics is what we've always had. It's our eyes. That's all it is. But the one thing analytics doesn't teach you is or tell you about is a person's heart. See, mm-hmm. analytics will never be able to tell me about Draymond Green and the hunger that he plays with. You can't, mm-hmm. ana- if there's no analytics for that, you know, or what makes Steph Curry Steph Curry. It's not the jump shot, okay? It's the fact that this young man never stops moving. He never stops working. There's no analytics for that. Hmm. Do you find that it is a, uh, in the in the coaching ranks, general manager, or just management, player development, all those different things? Do you believe that there is a clique that you're just not part of? I believe there is a clique. You know, I've been, you know, I sat in front of different guys, you know, and interviewed for jobs, and I was even told that I had a job with somebody, and found out that he looked me in my eyes and lied to me, and so you know, which hurt me a lot, you know. And so there is a clique. I thought I was part of all these cliques because I was that guy, I was that chameleon guy that could get along with anybody and everybody. You know, I never backstabbed anybody. I never um, talked bad about anybody. I was always the guy that you could always come to, you know, no matter what the situation was, you know, Olden can help you, you know, go to him. You know, when we were young, you know, people came to me for money. They came to me for advice. You know, I made a phone call to my attorney to get somebody out of tr- trouble, <laughs> you know. So it was always like that. So I was always, I was clickless 
but yet I was still part of everybody's clique, unbeknownst to me, because my name was always the guy, oh, man, you know, OP, he's a good dude. He can help you. I was the guy they came to. My grandmother's sick. I need $20,000. Oh, call OP. I'm, he'll, he'll, you know. So I just don't get it. And, again, I never did all the things that I did expecting anything, you right. know. Just like I love to work out by myself. I don't need to work out when there's a million eyes on me, you know, showing out. I like to work out by myself. And, you know, everything I do, I do, you know, under the radar, so to speak. I've never promoted myself. And maybe that's why I haven't gotten a job because I don't think people even knew I was coaching or knew I wanted to be in that position. So, but it's just getting to the point now, man. I'm, you know, I got all this gray. You know, that was another thing somebody told me. I said sometimes, you know, they have to let you be away from the game for a while. You know, before they start looking back at you, it's almost like they got to separate you from the player that you used to be. Hmm. You know, and so I'm like, damn! I look at myself in the mirror, and I'm like, man, I got a lot of gray hair. I'm really looking like an old dude and a coach. Okay. <laughs> Oh, then I but, you know, I, unfortunately, I don't have the luxury of being, you know, a Jason Kidd who can get hired or uh, <laughs> Derek Fisher who can get hired right after they retire. So, I've, again, I've paid the price. I've, I've done it all. And so somebody, whoever's listening, I know people listen to Scoopy Radio. Radio. It's like, hey, whatever I need to do, I'll do it. That's how I look at it, you know. I think you said something about Jason Kidd and, and Derek Fisher. Um, I think that obviously Jason Kidd was more effective uh, than Derek Fisher. Um, I think they also have a look. I think Derek Fisher being part of the Players Association, um, you know, team president or rather president. Um, and I also think Jason Kidd just being Jason Kidd is for, and, and the point guard being the extension of the coach on the floor. And they have a look. Uh, they dress the part. They were light enough, and they and they networked along the way. I think the point guard position is an easier transition for someone to become a coach. What say you? Uh, it's a big bag of bullshit. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I'm just as smart, if not smarter, than a lot of those guys. I'll put my – we can do a blind test, blind resume right now, okay, or blind knowledge test of, with anybody, and I will beat every last one of them. You know, I will beat every last one. I'll put myself up against pop as far as, like, knowledge of the game. Okay, X's and O's. I will put me, and I'll put up the money against any last one of them. So I, I've always heard that about, you know, the guards, you know, being the extension and everything else. And it, and it goes back also to a lot of, you know, my brethren back in the days when they did get opportunities, they were lazy, you know. And so it, it became the norm to think that, you know, big guys were lazy. And I'm like, I'm here to tell them that's not the case. You know, one or two people is not open colonies, okay? I bust my ass. You know, I'm willing to work. And so I just want the opportunity to, to do it. So yeah. whether it's a point guard, I mean, the point guard and the centers were basically the two guys. You know, the point guard up front and the center has to be able to direct people, direct traffic mm -hmm. and everything else. 
I was the guy that could call out anybody's plays. So the minute a, a coach called out, you know, four down, okay, or run twist, run whatever, and I would tell my teammates exactly what the play was. It didn't matter. I, I knew every, I knew all 29 other teams' plays. Yeah, and, and, okay. I'll, and, I'll, add, and I'll add, um, when you look at Dennis Rodman, for example, when he played with the Bulls, Jack Haley, the late Jack Haley, transferred over from being the 15th or the 16th man, rest in peace to Jack, to becoming an assistant coach based off his relationship with Dennis. And then after yeah. that era was over, you know, went over to New Jersey uh, with the Nets, uh, with Calipari. That was during my time doing radio with the Nets. I used to see Jack Haley on the bench um, as an assistant. And he's a big man, but he knew how to use relationships. And I look at you the same way. There's relationships there. I look at Otis Hughley, for example, who coached DeMarcus Cousins in high school and then found his way to the Sacramento Kings bench. He's now, you know, over at Auburn. And it seems like you have all these relationships. Somebody like Giselle McGee would be a perfect uh, transition. Some of the guys that you've worked with, do you find that a lot of times they're not willing to put their neck out like that? They don't have to yeah, hold. I do. Um, I mean, I've had the conversation with JaVale and a bunch of other guys. I mean, I've worked with so many guys, you know, Corey McGetty, Elton Brand, um, Chris Kamen. All, those were my guys when I was with the Clippers that I helped mm-hmm. and trained and, you know, gave them sage advice. Um, I mean, but JaVale's, you know, current right now. I'm like, dude, all you got to like, thank you, Olden, for the work you put in with me. Um, help me get this championship, help me get this monkey off my back, anything, but nothing. And so sometimes, that again, that hurts. But I'm not doing this stuff, you know, for that. And that's, again, that's one of the problems that I'm running across is I'm, I'm dealing with it the wrong way because apparently I have to start being that guy. I have to force people to to promote me or I have to promote myself because – you know, me trying to be humble and integrity and having integrity is not getting me a job. <laughs> you know, it's just not. You know, trying to be like under the radar kind of guy, you know, anonymous, you know, doing good deeds, that's not helping me. And so I'm going to have to like either light a fire on the people or just light my own fire, you know, to let them know I am capable, I am willing, and I am able. What's stopping Elton Brand for potentially hiring you in some coaching capacity in Philadelphia? I don't. Again, I don't know. That's the thing. You know, I make the phone calls. I don't get responses. I've offered to intern, you know, hey, let me intern. Let me, you know, intern for summer league. Nothing. And I just don't understand. I don't know, Scoop. We're talking about, what is it now, 2012, um, seven, eight years, 2011, actually, I got my first coaching job. So 2011, eight years now, you know, I've been coaching. And like I said, I've coached every single level you could think of, every level, boys, girls, adults, pros, European play, every, I've done it all. I just, I don't get it. I know how to scout. Luka Doncic, Christoph Porzingis, I call it that stuff. I, I, I posted about them before they were drafted. Hmm. <laughs> before they were drafted, I posted about them. I knew about those guys because I, I do my homework. 
No one knew who Pusingas was. You know, I was posting about him. I, he's like, he, I would pick him number one. That's how good he is. Luca, I would pick number one. That's how talented he is. You know, Hazonia. Um, I, I mean, come on now. I was posting about all these guys. Ola, let me ask you a question. You talked about Przingis. Do you think next season in Dallas he'll be motivated to play and will turn a lot of heads? Well, he better resolve that situation he has first. But, yeah, I believe he'll turn heads. <laughs> you know, um, he not, not to make light or fun of it, but, uh, you know, it's unfortunate that sometimes, you know, there's always something you know, that's lurking for athletes. And, you know, I've always tried, I always try to give advice, you know, keep yourself out of these situations, you know, even though you may be, you know, not guilty or you didn't do it, but you are always going to be in a court of public opinion. That's the worst court you want to be in. You know, it is the worst court you want to be in. And so to me, you know, that's first and foremost. But as far as from a basketball standpoint, I believe he's going to really make a difference for Dallas, you know, with with Luka, you know, running that that point forward and, and Porzingis being the good player that he is. And it's going to be formidable, you know. We're talking about like KD and Kyrie in New York or, you know, having these tandems. Luka Doncic and Christoph Porzingis on the same floor. Have people seen the length on these guys? It's absurd. It is absurd. When this guy gets healthy and he starts playing, oh, my. The West is going to be a fun, fun conference. What is Dallas missing on their roster? Right now, Oh, Dallas needs a slasher kind of game. It's, you know, they have Harrison Barnes, but they, not Harrison Barnes, I'm sorry, they had Harrison Barnes. They need somebody like him, but more aggressive. You know, they need the guy, you know, um, what's his name? Oh, not Draymond. Oh, God. My brain is going right now. What is wrong with me today? Um, they need a slasher. A guy that can get his own shot off at the three position, you know, mm-hmm. uh, mid-range jumper. You know, we have enough people that can shoot threes, but they need that guy that's that in-between, you know. Uh, a stronger, like, um, Sean Livingston, you know, but playing the three position. Uh, as somebody that's a mid-range kind of guy, mm-hmm. you know, that's what they need, you know, a little bit more physical. They had a Harrison Barnes, like I said, but, you know, they traded him. But somebody along those lines, he doesn't have to necessarily sit out and shoot threes, you know, but they need somebody like that that could be that in-between guy. Cause they what have about a Derrick Rose? Derrick Rose could fit in there, you know, at the point that you look, you look, move Luca over. Um, you know, you can never be – you can never have enough of a good point guard. Um Derrick Rose is going to get some offers because of how he played this year. So, you know, as long as he continues to stay healthy, he's going to help somebody. But that would be a good team for him. Dallas would definitely be a good team for him. But they need, honestly, they need a slasher kind of guy. They've had it in the past. They just, you know, they just didn't, you know, have the plays that they have now. And so 
with the two guys that I, we mentioned, Kristoff and Luca, I think that is, you know, that's the cornerstones right now. You know, the new Dirks. Olden, did you you play for the Sacramento Kings? Did you and Keon Clark ever get confused up in, in public? Keon Clark, no. No. No, I don't look nothing like no damn Keon Clark. <laughs> well, you know they say we all look alike. <laughs> no, <laughs> me and John Sally, we I get that a lot. Really? Yeah, me and John, we get that a lot with each other. He tells me that all the time. People be like, "Hey, LP," I'm like, "Hey, Spider," I'm like, oh, "No, no, no, wrong guy." <laughs> that's like that's like Steve Smith and Grant Hill. <laughs> They get confused with yeah. each other in public. But you're right, though. We, you know, technically, you know, people always say we all look alike, but no. It's like they just see big and black. <laughs> Scooby Radio on the line with all the colonies. Um, when I look at you, um, I feel like the NBA, I, I, I've, I've been a fan. I was a fan before. I was a journalist, and when I became a journalist, I was able to balance the two. But the one thing that I'm finding, uh, I feel like you guys that were drafted in the 80s, played in the 90s, you guys were OGs before you became OGs. It's like hip-hop. I feel like Nate Dogg and Jada Kids were OGs before they became OGs. And I believe that there's a hierarchy. I believe you look at guys like um, Charles Oakley, Charles Barkley, uh, Michael Jordan, um, yourself. You guys are like the Godfathers now um, in different ranks, but you're respected nonetheless. You look at the 2000s, you look at Ben Wallace, there was something OG about him when he came in. There was something with Shaq that was OG-like about him. But there's just this mystery. I think part of it is the fact that the Internet didn't exist when you guys played and it exists now. Michael Jordan, would you consider him the godfather and you guys all have your roles? Like, what this mystique about Michael, is it, is it, is it as advertised? It is, uh, and more. <laughs> you know, Michael is the godfather. He's, you know at the top of Mount, Mount Rushmore, so to speak. That's what everybody's dwelling on. But, you know, I had the luxury of playing against Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who, in my personal opinion, is the greatest godfather of them all, you know. And so, to me, you know, we have these arguments about goats, but he's never mentioned. You know, my first game was against Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. The man changed the game. And so why is it that we don't have that? I didn't have the pleasure of playing against a Mr. Russell, Bill Russell, or Will Chamberlain, but I did play against Kareem, who played against those guys. And it's it's astounding, you know, his greatness. It gets overlooked, you know. Yeah, Michael did his thing, you know, but come on now. If you compare his stats and Kareem's stats, there's no comparison. There's none. None. I think Michael beats him in one category and one category alone. I think that's like steals. Hmm. Well, that's it's hard. <laughs> that's it. But there's nothing else that he beats him in. Kareem dominates in every statistical category. It's absurd to me. And so, yeah, my, you know, we can say he's the godfather, but, you know, I just don't see it that way. You know, a lot of us are prisoners of the moment. You know, now it's LeBron. But I've always been a firm believer, man. Until you give me the the, um, the criteria for greatness, then it's always going to be talk, you know. 
Do you? That's why, I, that's why I would rather have, you know, like you said, I like how you say like, there's ranks and levels, you know, because mm-hmm. ne- you can never say who the greatest of all time is because we were, they were all different eras. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I think, you know, when you talk about the greatest of all time, you know, I had Gary Vini on the Scoopy Video podcast, and he said he he, he subscribes to your theory where he believes that, you know, uh, Kareem was the greatest of all time, and it wasn't just, you know, the fact that what Kareem did, you know, in the NBA, you know, he won a championship with the Bucks as Lou Alcindor, when, you know, and and with the Lakers as Kareem with Jabbar, but he did it in high school. He did it at UCLA wow. under yeah. John Wooden. And, um, you know, he compared – Kareem in the NBA to Tom Brady in the NFL. Well, and even that, yeah, Tom Brady's that amazing thing. Tom Brady's, you know, that's a little bit more, you can do it more in in football than you can in in basketball, you know. But um, my thing is this, Kareem changed the game. They they outlawed dunking because of this man. (laughs) When somebody does that, that means you're a bad boy. They didn't change anything for Michael Jordan. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing has changed for Jordan. I think the endorsements and the branding is what makes Michael. Okay, so that's what I'm saying. So then that's the criteria then. So now Mm -hmm. we're having a whole different conversation. Mm -hmm. So if that's the criteria for him being the greatest, then let's say that is, okay, Michael is the goat of branding and global marketing. Yeah, I can respect that, but I'm not gonna. I cannot say that Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player to ever live. That's that's absurd for me to even say that. You I know, and that's he, why I say people just like having something to talk about. Yeah, I, and I and I think when I look at the Michael Jordan thing, I think the other thing that stands out. Listen, over that I told you, I, I fell in love with the game in '91. Um, I, I was introduced to it by my Uncle Billy, who ran Citywide. You're very familiar with Citywide in New York yes, City, Billy Rawls. Billy Rawls was the commissioner. And then, you know, um, you look at uh, you look at my stepfather. He, he's from the west side of Chicago, grew up down the street from the United Center. So, 91, I fell in love with this game, with this ball-headed guy wearing a Bulls jersey. But here's the thing that happened. Michael played on the Dream Team, and that Dream Team, makes people turn a blind eye to Kareem because you've impacted guys like Tony Parker, Dirk Nowitzki, um, you know, Pedro Stoyakovic. But the other thing is you also have guys like Vlade Divac who made um, who made Drazen Petrovic want to play and made, um, you know, all these guys from, from, from those parts of the world want to play, even, you know, Pedro Stoyakovic. So I feel like there's levels to it because on the global side, some people may look at Vlade and his respective place is Mike, the Michael of their world. But I believe that Michael changed the game globally because, and I think Joe Charles Barkley, when he said, I don't know about Angola, but Angola's in trouble. You had Drexler. You had all those guys that played on that dream team. I think that Michael and that dream team make people forget about Kareem. Well, no, I understand, and I agree with you that it did globalize the game, and that was yeah. David Stern's um, dream. You know, for a long time, he he said it to us in one of the meetings. I want to take this game globally. And so I definitely get it. But my point being, and it's also the point that we shouldn't knock one to prop up another. That's true. You know, I'm a firm believer. Hey, I can I can give Michael props and still give LeBron props and vice versa, mm-hmm. you know. And Kobe and everybody else. I think that's how it should be. But people forget also, 
Kareem did this thing just like Bill Russell did in an era where, you know, I, I hear people talk about, well, there was only eight teams in the league with Russell. I'm like, okay, but they also played in those paper tennis shoes. They hmm. also played during civil rights, okay? So now let's put all everything in its right context, too, now. Agreed. Okay. Yeah, there was only eight teams, but, you know, I can even eat in the same restaurant with my teammates. Hmm. Come on, now. Stop yeah. it. Yeah, and for those listening, uh, Scoopy Radio, uh, Olden Polonies uh, forced a hunger strike. Uh, you, you did that during, I believe, 1992 because of the mistreatment of Haitian immigrants at Guantanamo Bay. Am I correct? You are absolutely right, except for the date, 1993. Um, the uh, yeah, first ever professional athlete to do that. You know, first and only. <laughs> what was that like? I mean, you look at you look at you look at athletes in during Ramadan that you you think they have it bad, but you were doing it in season and you weren't eating. How long did you do that for? I did it for ten days, and it was rough because you know it was during the season and I'd like nothing at all. After, you know, Ramadan they get to eat. You know, mm-hmm. they just can't eat. You know, um, with light on. Sunday. Yeah, and mm-hmm. so I was like nothing at all, just drinking water, and it was rough. But you know, I had to do it, and you know, again before social media, before Kaepernick and all of that. So you know, that's the thing. You know, we're in a new era. I wish you know I had done it in a time of social media, but back then I got ridiculed. I got the death threats. I got you know people like you know go back to Africa. I'm like, um, no, I'm from <laughs> Haiti. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I am African descent, but I was actually born in the, in Haiti. So it, it was it was really interesting, but you know, none of that was going to stop me. Um, you know, because I, I grew up knowing who I was and knowing what my what I was supposed to do in life. And so it didn't matter. That's why a lot of the stuff doesn't really, it, it bothers me sometimes, but at the end of the day, I, I don't lose sleep over it because I've been through everything. You know, <laughs> I've been misjudged. I've been, you know, shoot, I, man, come on, man. So many things that's happened in my life, you know, and that's the thing, you know, not to, you know, change gears, but I want to change gears. And, you know, people used to ask me, you know, do you think that, the incident that happened in Utah has affected you getting a job. I remember somebody asked me that. It might have been Chris Broussard when I did his show, you know. And um, I don't know if you remember that. And, you know, and I used to think that it did for a while, but I'm like. You talking about when you got pulled over? I never got pulled over. That's the thing. I was charged for something that never happened. For those who the, I think I might be the only person that got arrested or not even arrested or charged by mail. Huh. I literally got charged and and by mail. Because there were no police officers there. You know, for people that don't know, um apparently you know, I was accused of impersonating a police officer. And which never happened. I was in a Mercedes Benz, I got hit, right? The guy kept going. He just kept driving, so I followed behind him. I got his license plate. I dialed 911 on my other phone. I have two cell phones, you know, so I dialed 911 on my other cell phone, and 
the whole time I'm on hold, me and him are having conversations, right? And so, you know, he's, you know, he, I didn't even realize that he lived, when he pulled up on the on the side of the house, that was his house. He was near where the accident happened. And so we're having banter. He's telling his wife, you know, tell him he's a gangbanger from L.A. And I was like, yo, MF, if I, if I was a gangbanger, you'd be dead right now. You know, so, you know, when he realized who I was, he walked over to my car and we started having a normal conversation. But the mm. whole time, I'm on hold with Utah police. And, you know, and the other person I was on the phone with had heard the whole conversation, but they wouldn't even let her come in and testify, you know. And so to me, that, you know, it was like, um, so finally he realized I'm not a gangbanger. So he looks down into my car. He sees my wallet is open, right? And he uh -huh. saw this little pin badge in there. Like, it's the size of a freaking nickel, you know? You know, I got it, you know, from my agent. We all had it. I had one. Carl Malone had one. Uh, Brian Russell had one. All his clients, you know? It's like if you get pulled over, you open up your wallet. Yeah, and then they show, they see it. They usually let you go with a warning. Right. So it's that kind of thing. So when he told his side of the story, you know, later on to the police, you know, it was, oh, yeah, I saw he had a badge. So when I went in and I sat with Assistant District Attorney Jerry Sloan and Kevin O'Connor, who was the general manager of the Utah Jazz at the time, we sat mm -hmm. in the office. I showed them my wallet with the little pin. The Assistant District Attorney was like, wait a minute, this is what we're talking about? And I said, yeah, this is it. So I don't know. He's like, uh, I wouldn't worry about it if I was you. Okay, so I leave. I thought the thing was over. Next thing I knew, I'm being charged. Because one, it was an election year, and two, you know, again, the big black guy in Salt Lake City, you know, he <laughs> had to be guilty of something. And I'm like, wait a minute, I didn't, I didn't do anything. And it became, like I said, in, in public opinion, you know, it was blasted all over the news that, you know, here I am in person police. I am I in person police officer? I didn't do anything other than go get this guy's license plate, you know, to report it for the accident because he hit and didn't stop. He should be the one getting in trouble, not me. And because he saw something in my car, then all of a sudden I'm this bad person? It's absurd to me. You know, let me take that and raise you this. When you saw what the fans were calling Russell Westbrook this season in the stands during that game at Utah, your first thought was? Typical. Tell me more. Um, it was typical because I've seen it. You know, and I never like it. That's why I tell people all the time, I will never, you know, I, I used to always say it, it's true, unless I get a coaching job, then, you know, I would have to go to Utah. But I have not set foot in Salt Lake City since I left, you know, in 2002. And I, I refuse to because there's there's a, there's blatant racism and then there's overt racism. It's all there. You look in the stands, you know, outside of the players, I mean, there's only like maybe 10 black people. Count all the black people in the stands. You literally, we used to make that a game. Really? Me, yes. Me, Brian Russell, we used to sit there like, okay, let's count black people. One, uh, let's see. Oh, I got one. I got one. I got one. 
Wow. <laughs> it used to be like a game we played on, on the bench. And so to me, I was not surprised by it. I'm, I was surprised. I was more surprised by um, uh, Gail Miller's response. That was finally the first time somebody actually stepped up. So I was pleasantly surprised by that. And so to me, um, it was really it hurt. I mean, I got called nigger in Salt Lake City several times, you know. And so it's it's. One guy, you know, I knocked him out, <laughs> but uh, you know, and I had I had every right to. And luckily for me, there were police officers nearby that heard him say it, so nothing became of it. You know, they actually wanted to arrest him, and so yeah, it it happened a lot. You know, f a nigger, you uh, okay? Wow. It is what it is, man. And we're talking about yeah, that's before Donald Trump, so. <laughs> you know, not everything is about Donald Trump, man. A lot of this stuff was happening before him. How do you think Russell Westbrook handled it? Um, outside of the threat to the female, um, supposedly he said oh, he's gonna kick their butts or whatever. But I thought he handled, you know, as well as could be handled. Um, you know, everybody wants to, you know, they want to make their comments, but you know, we've always said this, you know. You know, you would never say it on the street, you know, or so we thought. But, you know, it happened on the street. But it's like they always got to have the protection. Like that guy actually thought he was protected because there were some police officers nearby. You know, it's always like that. You know, it's like I'm going to say as long as I know there's no chance that I'll be saved by somebody. And the saving for these people, a lot of these people, was the comfort of the arena. But I, I, they go overboard. I mean, all these people go overboard. And the league in all sports has to start, you know, putting their foot down. You know, I'm not saying you can't say stuff, but, you know, come on. There's certain things that, you know, they're off limits. Come on, you're not stupid. The rules of engagement. I remember when in my dorm, uh, me and my, my roommate and best friend Andre, we, got, we, we said the rules of engagement. You don't mess with somebody while they sleep, while they're on the toilet, and while they're eating food. I think the rules. What you say? That's pretty much it. Yeah. And I feel like there's certain words you just don't say. You don't talk about people's mother, and you don't use the N word. Oh yeah, no, yeah, you know, yeah, my, yeah. You know. I'll even let you get away with talking about my mama sometimes. Typically, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but the N word, it's like people. But school, it's our fault too. It is, you know. It's all too. You know, we, yeah, we've, you know, we made it, you know, the cool thing. So it's like, hey, shit, you say it, hell. You know, so I, I don't know, man. This thing is, is so crazy. I, it's way above my pay grade. Yeah. <laughs> well, we try to get you paid. We want you, we, listen, man, if you got to be the, it's, it, you've done talked about being a player, police officer, allegedly, uh, a coach, a consultant, a style coordinator. You, there's, there's something there, man, that, that, uh, that a team needs. And and the thing, I discussed this with you earlier. Now, as you know what's so funny? You made that statement and what? you would make it on the list. You know what's so funny? I, what? When that whole thing happened in Utah, I swear to God, I was like, I might as well go join them now, man, to take the pressure off of myself because, you know, <laughs> that's how bad I felt. You know, and I've always been the guy, you know, you can ask anybody at OC, man. Whenever I messed up, I'm the first one to admit to it. 
you know, because that's one thing about me. I will always tell the truth, you know, even to my detriment. To You know, I've taken hits, you know, where I could have lied, but I can't do it, you know. I could have easily, like, got out of stuff just by lying, but I was not raised that way. So rather than lie, I told the truth and suffered the consequence, which is fine, but I can sleep at night. But I swear, there was a, about a two-year stretch. I was like, man, I should just go join law enforcement. You know, maybe that'll mm-hmm. make things easier for me, you know? Because there was a stretch. I literally, I could, I was I was out there like, I can't handle this. You know, people would, you know, say something to me, and I'd get so angry, you know, about that incident. Oh, hey, what's up, man? Where's your badge? I'm like, oh, I'm like, I'm ready to swing on people. <laughs> You know, and it took a while for me to, like, you know, get away from that. Like, you know what, stupidity is going to still be stupidity no matter what, you know. And so it took a while, though. It took about four or five years for me to kind of, like, get away from that, you know, that anger. You know, because, like I said, you know, I it would have been okay, and I probably would have laughed with them if it had been true, you know. But because I knew in my heart of hearts that it wasn't, so I was taking a hit for no, oh, God, that, that used to really anger me. But Well, it seems like the law enforcement thing you discussed, Shaq took a page out of your book. <laughs> I know, right? What's the craziest story you can tell me about Shaq? You, you have some pretty crazy stories. Oh, my God, there's so many of them. Probably us playing tag in the middle of the casino in Las Vegas and <laughs> him diving under the craps table to hide. How did that work out for Shaq? Oh, my God. You've never seen anything funnier than the seven-foot-two guy diving under a craps table. You know, not tag, um, hide-and-go-seek. You know, so we were playing. So hide-and-go-seek. You, you guys are 20-something years old. Playing yeah, playing. Yeah, yeah, running around the casino, hiding. I mean, it was the funniest thing in the world, man. It's But that's, that's it. He's such a big kid, man. He's a fun-loving dude. And... That to me, that's one of the craziest ones, you know. So, so paint the scene for me. What year was this? This was ninety-seven, ninety-six, ninety-seven, ninety. Yeah, right before they won the championships. Um, yeah, we just we were at um, Venetian, and we just play. It was like me, him, his. Um, Uncle, Jerome. his cousin, yeah, Jerome, um, Chicago, all of us. It's like just my brother, Woody, and we all like just <laughs> ready, go. <laughs> my thing was this, Scoop. You got me. I'm out. <laughs> I'm, I'm shooting crap. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> so when I was out, I said, you know what? I'm just going to shoot crabs. I didn't want to play no more. And I felt him, on, you know, like diving. He was like literally like on my foot. And I'm like, and I'm rolling dice. And and I, I can't remember who was it looking for him. I'm like, you seen him? I'm like, man, I'm busy right now. And he's right down to the table. It's the funniest thing in the world, man. How were the people in the casino reacting to this? Man, they... I mean, it's Shaquille. You know, they were, they thought it was funny, too. But, you know, she wasn't supposed to be under the table. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, my God. 
You, as I'm hearing you tell these stories, I think you're in a in an interesting situation, kind of like Ty Lue and Kevin Ollie. If you look at Kevin Ollie, he played with KD, he played with Allen Iverson, um, he won a national championship with UConn. You look at Ty Lue, he played with Michael, he coached LeBron, he won a championship with Doc Rivers as an assistant coach and coached that 08 Celtics team with KD, Ray Allen, and more. Um have you ever thought about, like, kind of picking their brain about how they were I have. Really? I talked to Kevin Ollie. yeah. Um, Kevin Ollie actually told me if he ever got an NBA job, he would bring me on board. Wow. You know, I don't know if it was just words, but, you know, he did say it. And so, and T. Lou, I, you know, we used to talk all the time, and then he won the championship, and he kind of, like, got a little sideways, you know. Gotcha. So it's one of those things. But, yeah, I, I talked to these guys. I was with Jason Kidd last week before he got announced as the assistant or associate, whatever he's going to be, in, um, for the Jerry Colangelo Golf Tournament. And we were talking, you know, about coaching and everything else. And so I do try to pick brains. Mark Jackson's one of my guys, you know. Um I try to pick everybody's brain, you know, on every level. Rick Carlisle, talk to him about coaching, you know, because we were teammates at Virginia. And I'm I'm always going to be a student of the game. I'm always going to keep learning and striving to get better. So, yeah, I'm always picking people's brains. Do you think Mark Jackson is blackballed? Yes. Why? I can't. That one I can't talk about. Okay. <laughs> Got you. I know why, but that one I, I honestly can't talk about. Okay. Michael Jordan, uh, I want to go back to that because I talked about you being an OG, and Michael Jordan liked to play cards. What is the funniest or most surreal experience that you had with Michael Jordan while playing cards? Shoot. The fact that he hates to lose, and I can't stand that about him. You know, like he loses. Okay, we play talk. You know, for anybody that knows Tonk, you know, you know, there's little side bets. So we bet high, high spades, high aces or whatever. And so it'll be $100 with Mike. Mike loses. He doubles the bet. Okay, make it 200 or 500 whatever it is, you know. And I was there one night when the game got big, and it was $500 high spades, and he lost. Mm-hmm. And uh, God, who was it? Um, uh, what's his name? Lester Comp, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like okay, thousand dollars. Okay, he's like, okay, I just won. I'll do it again for the next hand. Okay, he lost again, two thousand. Well, like, dude, you know he's gonna keep doing that, right? <laughs> <laughs> And so that was the, and it's the truth about him. He will keep doubling it until he wins. And you cannot beat somebody like that. You know, Michael's like the casino in Vegas. All you got to do is go in the back and print some more or get some more chips. You can never break somebody like that. And we used to be like, dude, leave him alone, man. You might as well, even if you haven't won, just lose. Because he's all he's got to do is keep raising it. He's going to make it 10000 in a minute. How much did he end up losing in that game? Man, Mike don't care about that. I think maybe 60, 70. Thousand? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he took a hit, but it was like he just, you know, but it's nothing for him. 
You know? But let me tell you something. Here's the one, though. Here's the best one. You know, this is part of my book. Um, my introduction to the NBA. So I'm playing um, Magic, look, Magic Johnson, Reggie Miller, Chuck Person, Isaiah Thomas, myself, and there might have been two other people in that room. So I'm like, okay, and rolling dice on the bed. And Isaiah is the guy. You talk about the goat of shooting crafts. Isaiah is the godfather of shooting crafts. <laughs> like he's my goodness. The dude, I don't know what he does or how he does it, but he, he can't beat him. So long story short, we're all there. I'm seeing these guys writing checks, you know, eighty, hundred thousand dollar checks to each other, and I'm like, oh my god. So the next day I come back, I decide to get in the game. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm what two years in the league. I, I don't have that kind of money, but I'm like, damn, they're not that good. <laughs> so I'm like, I can make me some money on the side. But I didn't plan it out right. And so I thought Isaiah was about to, you know, lose, you know, crap out. So I'm like, I go against Isaiah, which was a bad move. And that's what showed me his greatness. So long story short, I ended up losing about $2,000. And I'm in a corner crying. Why well, do I have $2,000 to lose? You know? These guys have been, you know, they, they're making money. They got big contracts and all that stuff, even back, you know, and that was only two years, you know. And so I'm like, I don't have that kind of money to lose. 2000 is a lot of money. Isaiah grabs me and pulls me to the side and he starts having a conversation with me. And he's telling me a story. And I'm like, oh, my God, I got to listen to this now? But it made sense. He's like... You know what I just did to you, right? He, I go, no. Nah. He said, you know what? You're, you're my hoe. I said, what? I'm your what? So you're my hoe. You worked hard for that money, right? You handed it to me. So you worked for me now. You're my hoe. You know? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God, this dude here. So that's how you're going to play me? So I'm listening to him the whole time, but it's making sense. Sense. It's registering. It's like, yo, you got to value your money. You work too hard for it to just hand it over to me. That was the greatest lesson I ever got. And when he wow. finished making that statement, he handed me the money back. Wow. And I was like, oh. <laughs> I, literally, I was crying. Like, I didn't, I, could, I couldn't afford to lose the 2000 and he handed it back to me after telling me the story. And I was like, thank you. And I walked out of there. I was so happy. And it's so funny. Years later, I ended up being in a similar situation with none other than Martin Lawrence. Wow. And I did the same thing to him. And I told him the same story and handed him back the money. <laughs> How crazy is that? Of all people. Yeah, he, and he was in tears because this was before he became a Martin Lawrence, you know, megastar. <laughs> and this is what I'm talking about, America. Olden colonies, the degrees of separation are crazy. You done told me Martin Lawrence, Isaiah Thomas, Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, 
growing up with Whoopi Goldberg and uh, his brother, and they ain't hiring you? There's something wrong with that. They got to get you in the view or something, Whoopi. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? When does your book come out? Uh, as soon as I finish it. Um, I'm five chapters in. I got about six more to go. I like it. I like it. Scoopy Radio on the line with Olden Pollinies. If you, you know, you, you talk about, or people talk about that. I've heard Charles Barkley tell this story about Moses Malone uh, teaching him about money or, you know, Shaq saying he spent like a, a few million dollars in a day buying him a car, his mom a car, his dad a car, his siblings a car. Who was your, was Isaiah your OG in that situation? Who was your NBA OG? No, my NBA OG was Moses Malone. Hmm. I went. I lived in Houston, and they used to um, go to Fondy all the time, you know, because mm-hmm. he was working with Akeem and everybody. Everybody would go down there and play basketball, and Moses was the guy. And the reason I say that is because it was more than basketball with Moses. You know, like we'd play, and then afterwards we'd sit around outside. Um, you know, he'd have his pickup truck lay down the flat the back of the truck and we'd play dominoes and we'd get food, you know, from the soul food restaurant, this is it, and we just eat and talk basketball hmm. and play dominoes. And he would he'd tell me stories about, you know, how to defend people, how to you know, it was just that was my guy. You know. I like it. I think I've asked you every daggone question. The thing I was co- I was confused about, when you talked about that story in Utah and the badge thing, it was my understanding, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's two separate incidents. It's, I'm not sure, so I, I want to get clarity from you. Were you the guy who got pulled over and you used your trading card as I did? No. Who was that? I don't know who that was. My thing was I – I never got pulled over. Like I said, I was just accused of something that okay. didn't happen. I believe you. Yeah, so. I believe you. I believe you. Man, I, I, I mean, you could go on and on in a day. Uh, before we go, your prediction, who do the Lakers get this summer? Who do the Clippers get this summer? Uh, my prediction on the Clippers is I believe Kawhi comes to the Clippers. Um, Lakers, I don't think they get anybody big this year, but they might next year, but I don't think they get a major. The only, I would say Clay, only if KD decides to stay in Oakland. Right. Because they both can't stay. You think so? Yeah, I, financially, they just, they both can't be on the same team. They, they both can't get maxed out. Hmm. So somebody's leaving. So my gut tells me KD leaves. He shouldn't, but KD leaves, and Clay stays, gets his match contract. Draymond gets his money, and they they win more titles. <laughs> and KD goes where? KD goes to New York. You think so? Yeah. You think or you know? Uh, <laughs> uh, if I know, that means you. That means you know I know something, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm asking. They don't call me school beef or nothing. He's gone. Okay. You heard it first. Olden Polonese, book coming out, coaching job on the way. We're speaking by faith. And, uh, brother, 
I'm wishing you the best of, of everything. 2020 is coming pretty soon, and, and, I, and I think you're going to get your just due. Oh, thank you so much. Scoop B Radio. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.